1: Good and welcome to autism live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we're coming to you live from a very cluttered part of my house. Uh, good morning, hola. Uh, so great to have you here and good afternoon from Ohio. Uh, so thrilled that Ohio is in the house. Uh, so I am good morning to John. I'm saying good morning to I feel like again uh, romper room. Good morning to John and Louise and Diana uh, If you want to get a shout out or you just want to be a part of the show or you want to be a part of the conversation I want to remind you that we're going to be live for the next hour and that you can participate in fact That's our favorite part of this show So we're going to show you a bunch of hello Priya Namaste from India. So thrilled that you're here um We're gonna show you a bunch of different ways that you can connect. And first of all, I wanna let you know if you're watching us live, you're probably watching us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Periscope. And you can connect in, if you're watching live, you can connect through that platform. Just put a comment in, however you normally put a comment into that platform. And it populates itself right here on my screen, which is very, very cool technology when it works. Isn't it a grand thing? Uh, if you are watching us recorded, you're probably watching us either on our homepage, autism-live.com, or you're watching us in uh, on any of those platforms that I just mentioned, but recorded. Or you could be watching us or listening to us on podcasts. We are a free download on many, many services. Uh, Traven is showing a bunch of them on the screen. For those of you who are listening, we're on Spotify. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Deezer. We are on Ghana. We are also on Google Podcasts. We're on iTunes. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're every Audible. Look at that. Uh, We're every place where you get your podcasts except for Soundgarden, which we're looking into, but I guess there's a little bit of a cost for Soundgarden. So We want to make sure that it's free to you. That's what we're all about here. So please listen and watch wherever is convenient for you. We don't advertise. We don't spend money on advertising. So we encourage you to please let others know if you like what you see here and you want to share more of it, please let people know. We have a big week for you this week and I'm really excited about it. If you watch Saturday Night Live on Saturday uh you know that one of our favorite autism charities is uh the topic of some very interesting controversy the best kind of controversy i think but then i'm not pete davidson so we love matt and nava uh paskowitz nava paskowitz asner matt asner he's not hyphenated she is from the ed asner family center in fact we love the whole ed asner family and everybody who's at the center And they do wonderful work, you guys. They have, in this pandemic, you know, I've been talking about them here sort of endlessly. They've offered free classes online to anybody in the world. These are normally classes that you would need to pay a fee to go to in person. But in COVID, they've been offering them free online every day of the week that takes some money. So they're doing a fundraiser and they normally hold their gala at this time of the year. Well, nobody can do a gala right now, except they're going to do it online. But they decided because in a typical gala, you would have all this entertainment and all this other stuff that they wanted to do a table reading of the script to It's a Wonderful Life, you know, the old black and white Jimmy Stewart movie. So they, this great idea, right? And they had all these Megastars who are going to be involved. I just saw last night that uh, Vanessa Williams has signed on to play a role. Carol Kane, who is just one of the most fabulous actresses in the world, um, she is. You probably, you guys probably know her from The Princess Bride. Um, she plays one of the, the the character opposite Billy Crystal that they helped to bring the prince back to life. She's hysterical. She was also uh, on the hit show Taxi. Very funny actress. So she is going to be playing the role of Clarence, the angel. But In the casting, they decided to have Pete Davidson play the role of George Bailey, the Jimmy Stewart role. And I guess there's a bunch of people who've just taken issue with this. I don't know what about, but they just think it's interesting casting. Well, you know, it is interesting casting and that's what's good in life is interesting casting. And let me remind everybody, this is a benefit to raise money for one of the best autism charities in the autism community. So Pete Davidson on Saturday Night Live uh, talked about it during weekend update on Saturday and said, you know, so people are really freaking out about the fact that he's going to be doing this table read for charity. Well, I want to let you know that um, on Thursday, Matt and I are going to be here to be talking about everybody who is taking part in this wonderful, wonderful table read and telling you how you can get tickets. Now, if you just can't wait, I wanna let you know you can go to the Ed Asner Family Center and you can get your tickets. But uh, I know we're gonna be there online front row and center. Uh, which everybody can be. Everybody can be front row and center. You know, there's a lot of things I don't like about this COVID thing, but there are some things that I'm going, you know, that's kinda cool. So everybody has access. I think it's gonna be really fun. I think it's gonna be hilarious. And uh, I also loved, cause this is a movie that I love, my family loves. And in the movie, one of his daughters, George Bailey's daughters, her name is Zuzu. And there's a whole thing about Zuzu's petals, features largely in the, the movie. And Zuzu, uh, the original Zuzu, the actress who played Zuzu, she's the last remaining living cast member. She's gonna be a part of the reading. And in, I don't know if I'm allowed to say who's playing the real, uh, playing the role of Zuzu in the table read. I don't think I'm allowed to say, but let me just say it's one of our favorite people uh, that's been on Autism Live many, many times. So it uh, gives me gooseys to think about the fact that she's gonna be reading that role. It's just so wonderful. So you're gonna wanna go to this thing and know that your dollars are going towards keeping that kind of programming alive across the world. Uh, John says, they're trying to teach my four-year-old grandson using Zoom only and it's a big fail. What to do? Well, John, I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know where you are and I don't know the challenges that you're facing. Right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're in the middle of a spike in a lot of different places. And that might be why they're only doing Zoom. I will tell you that uh, doing Zoom um, to teach a four-year-old on the autism spectrum is really hard. Um, and you, depending on what your grandson, what his challenges are, it may not be productive anytime soon. Um, but uh, if you are willing to work have what you really need to even attempt to make it be successful is really good, interesting content. Um, And, you know, I I would encourage you to try Khan Academy, K-H-A-N Academy.com to see if he likes to learn in that format. But even before that, will he learn, like, you know, look at PBS Kids, see if he'll interact in that format got to be reinforcing for them. It's not, if it's not exciting, who wants to sit in front of a screen all day? Not me. Right. And certainly not a four-year-old on the autism spectrum. So content has to be good. And you got to have somebody sitting right next to him to facilitate. It's just, you know, with a four-year-old, I don't hear from anybody that it's working any other way. So now, you know, either you or mom or dad or another family member or somebody that's in your pod that's safe needs to learn how to facilitate, how to make things exciting, how to reward him, how to keep him stimulated, how to give him a break and let him run around the room and celebrate and be excited. I'm doing this because, you know, it's like. They do one little thing, and we go high five, tickles, 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 and dude, let's run around the house one time, and then let's hurry, let's race to come back here, and who can get back in front of the computer next? Like that kind of stuff. So you need some training in how to do that. I will tell you that, um, you know, you can you can be trained in how in the techniques, um, but. Uh, I may have something. uh, I I just put out an email to somebody today who's supposedly got videos to help parents with this kind of thing. So I'll be excited if I can tell you about them later on in the week. But um, they really have to have a sense of play and a sense of fun and have patience, patience, patience. And hopefully whoever is teaching on the other end can be prompting, not only the child, but the person who is facilitating. So that's my quick answer for you. Um, and and there again, you know, if it's really not working, then is there a way that we can teach and have the video thing be just with the caregiver and them teaching the child? Because we can't put learning on a back burner. You know, COVID or no COVID. So let's find the path of what will work. So write me back and let me know if any of that is possible or if they've tried that. Uh, Diana, what am I supposed to not say? Uh, Which thing am I not saying? Oh, who's playing the Zuzu? Am I not supposed to say? Maybe you know more than I know. Uh, Okay. Uh, I have no idea what's happening right now. Okay. So uh, thank you, John. All right. Uh, I want to... Oh, okay. Uh, yes, it's hard for me on the screen. I had a math tutor last year, side by side. I even high five myself when alone because work is challenging. Yeah, no, I absolutely, uh, we all need to be reinforced. I mean, I have to, I do most of my meetings on zoom now. I, you know, I remember when I started doing this job and people asked me what I did. And I said, you know, I sit in the studio and talk to a camera that's this big for, you know, hours every day doing this show. And it was weird. Right. Now, 10 years later, that part is not weird. But I spend all day now talking into a camera, talking to someone. And it's still weird for me. And I find that if I don't give myself breaks and if I don't do something physical, I'm no good. That I end the day and I'm I'm exhausted, but not physically, right? And it's a very unsettling feeling. So we got to make sure our kids get physical breaks. We got to make sure we get physical breaks. We got to make sure everybody gets a reinforcer. You know, food is the easy one, but then we, and I know a lot about that. So if you can find something that isn't food or make it healthy food, right? Um, Promise yourself some sort of treat. I got to say, I know I keep talking about it because they're on our toy guide, but I, this, we put this on our toy guide for caregivers. Uh, oh my gosh, this has been my big reinforcer for over a week now. Anne Williams group are craftastic, they they both are together. It's, it's like color forms for adults. This is my big reinforcer. But that's me, what's reinforcing to you? Uh, a lot of people are watching um, television shows, Um, that's great, but get, you gotta get some physical stuff in there too. I, I think I've told you guys we put the treadmill in the middle of the living room. It's craziness. Um, uh, could I please know about occupational therapy involvement with the autism team? Yes. So occupational therapy is an important part of, uh, an autism intervention. I absolutely love, uh, occupational therapy when it's done really well, it should be helping you to achieve all the things towards independence. Uh, specifically, a lot of times at school, they'll be working on fine motor stuff with an occupational therapist, but it's also one of the best ways to deal with sensory regulation through occupational therapy. They'll be doing gross motor activities, helping to balance, helping core strength so that eventually you can sit up and write. OT is really, really good. However, it is a part of too often people will tell me, well, I You know, I'll say, are you doing an autism intervention? Yes, we're doing speech and OT. Okay, that's great, but it's it's not going to get you there, right? Those are great things to have in your car as you're driving towards getting better, but you cannot get there with those alone. You really got to have something that teaches skills. And ABA is considered the gold standard of treatment. So the best possible thing that you could be doing is your maximum numbers of ABA plus OT, plus speech, and every waking hour is an enriched environment, excuse me, for the individual, and that you're playing to their strengths and the things that they find reinforcing. So if your kiddo loves animals and horses, you would fold into that some equine therapy, right? If your kiddo loves robots and Legos, you'd be doing a Lego Mindstorm group in addition to all that, because you're feeding you're making every waking hour an educational environment. So please know that I love me some OT, but I'm hearing too often people are like, oh, well, I'm doing OT and I expect to have, you know, I expect for my child to be able to do calculus and uh, conversation. Now, if you've got a great OT, they're going to get some, you know, cross the midline sort of stuff, which will help your child cognitively. But if you're not teaching the skill for the cognition, you're going to miss the boat. Okay, so part of, not the whole, but OT is great. Good morning to everybody. Good morning, NASA, uh, Nasser. i um, so thrilled that you're all here. Okay, we got to get to the jargon of the day because I don't want to be late for Bonnie and I'm already going to be late. So jargon of the day, uh, this is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nanny, nanny are these experts talking about? What does it have to do with us? How can it save us time and money? So our jargon term today. Oh, thank you, Priya. Uh, And thank you, Nasser. Awesome truth about autism training, adapted uh, physical education as therapeutic uh, interventions. Great. Yes, part of, not the whole. Do we have our jargon today? Uh, There it is, RBT. Let's go to alphabet land, shall we? So you're going to hear more and more people talking about RBT, and and there's another term too, and we'll share that on Thursday. Uh, But RBT, let's see what it stands for. It, of course, stands for a registered behavior technician. Great. So now we know what it stands for. What does it actually mean? And why does some of your insurance require that when somebody is working with your child that they have an RBT, that they are a registered behavior technician? So let's take a look. It's an individual who has been certified to show that they understand the basic tenets of applied behavior analysis. So when you're getting good ABA, good quality ABA, sometimes your insurance will say, I don't want you to just have just anybody off the street. I want to know that they've had a certain number of training because we're going to pay for this. We want them to have had a certain amount of training. So they may require that your therapists have an RBT. Now, The intent of this is great. The reality of it is a minor nightmare. Um, And let me put this in a little bit of perspective for you. So to get an RBT, you have to do about a 40-hour online training course. Great. I encourage everybody to do it, whether you want to get the RBT designation or not. If you're a caregiver or working with individuals on the autism spectrum, this is time well spent. I will tell you that there's another designation that's called a board certified autism technician. And there are places where you can do the 40 hour training and get the requirements for both. Uh, My favorite is the, and where I did it was the Institute for Behavioral Training, ibehavioraltraining.com. So 40 hours online learning. Now, if you are only going for an RBT and you don't care about ever getting a BCAT, you could take a course at certain places that just do the RBT training during the 40 hours. Um, I wanna make sure that everybody knows that you could get an RBT if you tried, you could get an RBT and not know anything about autism. For the, for the designation for RBT, they do not require that you have uh, experience with autism specifically. They want you to have experience with applied behavior analysis. The BCAT, on the other hand, which we will talk about on Thursday, but it's sort of hard not to with this, board-certified autism technician, it teaches you the tenets of ABA, but within the context of autism. So there you go. Now, you don't just take the 40-hour class. You have to do a certain number of hours working with individuals. Uh, So for the BCAT, it has to be individuals with autism. For the RBT, it doesn't necessarily have to be with autism. And you have to be mentored by someone, and then you have to take an exam. Um, And when you have done all of those things, then you get certified, and then you have to do ongoing education. Uh, But so your insurance company is like, I want to make sure that you have somebody who actually knows what they're doing. Here's the problem is that people come into the field and they don't have time to go take a class and insurance won't pay for them to. They don't have time to go take a class, a 40 hour class and the time to work with individuals without getting paid. So, um, and then there is this whole process and the certification thing and right now in COVID, it's taking longer, much longer than it used to take for the certification to, to come through. So it's, um, it's difficult. And a lot of people are, are, are in a shortage right now saying, I don't have an, all my hours. I've made my child available. I don't have enough hours because there aren't enough RBTs. So I look at this and go, okay, here's a problem. We all need to arrive at a solution. This is good information. I want to encourage everyone become an RBT, become a BCAT. Even if you're not going to use it, but if you need a job ever, there's always going to be jobs for RBTs and BCATs. Um, but it's an absolutely wonderful thing. Uh, okay. Um, so, and, and we have somebody who says, that's me, LOL. Uh, we love RBTs. Uh, we love BCATs we would like for there to be more of them. We would like to clone them. We would like for the world to be filled with RBTs and BCATs, because here's what I know. When you know this, the world works better. If the world were filled with people who understood the basic tenets of ABA, it would be angels singing, right? It's gonna help you in your life with your child or with your students or with your clients, and it's going to help you with your relationships, um, it's a great thing. It'll help you to understand yourself better and how you relate to the world. And here's the other thing. There's a lot of people who don't like ABA because they're like, it's terrible. It's cool. It's all. Sure. It could be if it's done by the wrong person or somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. When you understand the basic tenets of ABA, you go, oh, wait a second. This is a way of motivating people to do things that are hard in their lives and learn new skills by rewarding them. Uh, Done correctly. This is the answer to, I think, all of our problems. So, you know, RBT, BCAT, again, my favorite is to do them both in the same 40 hours. Why would you do two separate programs for 40 hours? I mean, like if you got that time, uh, I don't know. Uh, So, (laughs) iBehavioraltraining.com, their 40 hour program fulfills the requirements for both the BCAT and the RBT. Woohoo. Then you have to do the other things. It's not uh, done. Uh, yes, RBT will help you with relationships because you will understand why people do what they do. That's the whole thing with applied behavior analysis that sometimes somebody does something and we go, that's annoying. I don't like it. Right. But if you do start to look, um, through the lens of ABA, you start to understand, oh, they're doing that because they're getting a paycheck for it. And I don't have control over that but I have control of what happens before and I have control of what happens after. And that is powerful, powerful, powerful. Two for one. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Moving on. Cause we're late for Bonnie. We can't be late for Bonnie. Okay. So moving on to uh, our question of the day, I'm just going to speed through this. Uh, Who do you go to for advice? When it's a legal thing, having to do with school, guess who I go to? Bonnie Yates. Uh, but who do you go to for advice? I have lots of people for lots of different kinds of advice. So write in and tell us who you go to. Uh, all right. And then moving on to our topic of the week, it is celebrating neurodiversity. And I can't say enough about this, that we need to get as we crest and go into 2021, we need to get on the page of understanding that everyone doesn't think alike. and that is a good thing, that different people's viewpoints and different people's ways of looking at things is a good thing. And we need to all get there together. There are gonna be times when you or I or anyone is frustrated because we're not thinking like somebody else is thinking. We can no longer exist in a world where we are invalidating that. Now, there is a big difference for me between celebrating neurodiversity and saying, we're not gonna allow this person to grow. Totally different things in my book. We need, like, you know, I can look at my husband and go, he thinks different than I do, right? I'm a woman, he's a man. Right off the gate, we think different and we were raised different, we think differently. Now, I I don't wanna change who he is and I don't wanna turn him into me. But he can get better at certain things and I can get better at certain things and I can get better at understanding what he's doing and he can get better. So I don't I want to I want us to celebrate neurodiversity. I don't want to change anybody, but I want to help everyone be able to achieve the things that they want to achieve with as few challenges as possible. So that's where we're coming from this week and I'm very happy about it. Can you tell? All right, moving on. We've got Bonnie Yates. I think she's here with us. And Bonnie Yates is a fabulous special education attorney. And she is with the Toner Law Offices. And she is here with us to tell us about our rights and the rights for individuals in the classroom having to do with learning um, that are differently abled. Um, She is not here yet, but when she is here, uh, we had some questions that came in last week, and I'm happy to see that that parent is here. Uh, and she, I, Bonnie, is going to be prepared to answer the questions that you had asked the other day. I, of course, do not have those up, and so I'm going to work on that. But let's talk a little bit about the neurodiversity thing here, because uh, what I see so often is well-intended people who... um you know are reacting to things out of the gate so let's take aba case in point that um you know i am a huge fan of aba but i am a huge fan of good quality aba and good quality aba done in the right amount for the right prescription And good quality ABA as I have experienced it. And my son did five years of ABA in our living room because there were no centers back then. And I had a video monitor on and I watched it all. And I listened to it all. And I told my therapist that I was watching and listening to all of it. And if you're doing uh, an ABA program in your home, I encourage you to do that because you'll hear and see what they're doing with your child. You'll know that when your child cries, it's because they're crying out of, you know, they're communicating that I don't want to do this. And you will, because there are times when kids will cry because they don't want to do something. You ask them, pick up your toys and they cry. I don't want to pick up my toys. Listen, if I could cry every time that there's housework to be done. And if you did it for me or said, I'm going to leave you alone and not ask you, I would cry every single time. Right. If it worked for me, I would absolutely do it. My point is people cry, uh because it's communication they cry because they're frustrated they cry because they feel powerless there's a lot and they cry because they're hurt right and there are different cries for different things i'm a big fan of allowing people to cry i i don't know anybody who's ever died from crying um right but i as a parent want to hear the difference if my child is crying from frustration with someone who's supporting him through his feelings right than someone who is hurting my child. And let me just tell you, no one would be allowed to hurt my child in in my home. And if I knew that they were hurting him outside my home, Katie barred the door, it would be you know, a really bad thing for them um, because I am the most protective mama on the planet. But I always use the example when kids start to walk, they don't get it right away and they fall down, and they hit their head on the coffee table, or they fall down the stairs, or they, I mean, it's just unthinkable to me now, right? All the things that our kids go through when they're learning how to walk, but we as parents don't go, well, that's it. He hit his head on the coffee table. Stop it right now. We're not, you know, he's just not going to be able to walk. Pull in the wheelchair. We're done here. He's going to be in the wheelchair. We don't do that. Why? We don't do it because we, and he's going to cry when he hits his head on the coffee table, but we know that some things are things that you can work through and they're worthwhile and they're attainable. Sometimes when there's a kid with autism, we're not sure as caregivers. We're like, I don't know whether he's ever going to be able to do this and I don't want to just frustrate him, right? good quality ABA tears it down into these little itty bitty pieces so that her child can be successful and then put the pieces together so that they can ultimately be successful. Are they going to feel frustration? Are there going to be times that they may cry over it? That's a a possibility. It's a very small part of it. I, you know, in the five years that my son had ABA, I want to say that, you know, there were times that he would cry over things, but it was, few and far between so much of what they did with him was so much fun for him that he couldn't wait for therapists to come to the door. He would be so excited. I, you know, we had one therapist that I always call our autism whisperer. And when the doorbell would ring, he would jump up from where he was and he would like float over to the door on his tippy toes. He'd be like, Peter, 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 Peter. He couldn't wait to open the door and see that Peter was there. I, you know, It's a powerful, powerful thing. So I just, I want for people to know, because sometimes people will say to me, you know, you're not, Shannon, you're pushing ABA, you're not celebrating neurodiversity. And I, 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 I understand where you're coming from, but I want you to hear me when I say, um, that ABA can celebrate neurodiversity and done well, it does. And it should. So, um, I'm very uh, excited to share that with you. Bonnie is here. So let's let Bonnie right in. Ms. Bonnie Yates, as I mentioned, Toner Law Offices, wearing a fabulous scarf. Uh, how are you, Bonnie? I'm good. It's like 30 degrees here, so. That's yeah. We're a balmy like 74 and windy here. So no. Better use... I'd rather be 30. Anyway. <laughs> you look great, Bonnie. You're looking you. good. Thank you, thank uh, so me. I'm, I mentioned before Tolner Law Offices. Tell us a little bit about them and then give us the disclaimer, if you would. Tolner Law
0: Offices is a San Jose-based eight attorney special education firm that also does regional center disability discrimination and some civil rights issues. Um, we have an office in Los Angeles. We have another one in um, Irvine. I'm like getting a little slow in my old age here. Um <laughs> What we talk about on the show generally is the legal uh, underpinnings of the IDEA and the California Education Code. We want you to feel more comfortable with the process, even though the process is inherently uncomfortable. But knowledge is power. If you have a specific issue, though, I really recommend you have a consultation with an attorney. If it's in California. Arizona or Nevada we can accommodate that if you're in another state I direct you to copa C-O-P-A-A.net for a list of um, qualified attorneys that do
1: special ed cases in other states so very cool very cool so Bonnie we had a question that I had emailed to you you asked more questions they sent back more information yeah did you get what I sent you this morning I did. Okay, let me read through some of what they've said here. We had our triannual meeting, and my son is now under OHI. Is that part of the 504 plan? They recommended specialized academic instruction for him, and it's SAI. What in the yeah. hey, nani-nani is yeah, that? and What right. will it look like for him? She also, because we were talking on that day about autistic-like behaviors, uh, she had asked about that. But then let me read what she, because you had asked... For information about had the doctor recommended the 504 or the I- IEP, she sent a bunch more information, all of which isn't necessarily relevant. But uh, this is I don't it has a 504 plan. I it says that 504 at, at 504. age it says at age four the school switched him from an IEP to a 504
0: um, based, on, but, based on the disability having no educational impact. But now she's talking about the disability including other things like, uh, attentional problems and, uh, go ahead.
1: Well, I just want to point out that for this child, there are, uh, it appears that there is, I'm, I don't want to assume, but it looks like there, there is a diagnosis of ADHD and there is a social skill issue. There's anxiety. And he also has a physical disability. He has a club foot Um, there's a neurologist involved. Um, and I don't know if that's all the relevant information that we need at this point, but he is currently on a 504, but this little guy has some challenges and mom is here with us. So we can ask her anything that we need to ask her in the moment, Bonnie. Okay. Here's the thing. I
0: feel like this student, there isn't such a thing as having other health impairment under 504, as far as I know, um, that you are entitled to a FAPE under 504. But this student has enough stuff going on, so it seems to me that between the ADHD and the anxiety, his disability is having an educational impact. She didn't say anything about his grades, but she said he's having social skills issues. I think he should be reevaluated for an IEP. I'm back to what I said last week, you know, which is I don't really think 504 plans are advantageous for parents. The threshold for the assessment is low. If he's suspected of having a disability and she can show how his ADHD and his anxiety um, are impacting his ability to make progress in the general education curriculum, he should be able to have an IEP. So that's that little piece of business. he also could have it under other health impairment um, or, um, or established medical disability because he has a club foot. So that would be another possibility. I think the reason he doesn't have an IEP is because they are trying to weed out as many kids as they can and not give them IEPs. She's saying he's having problems. I don't have a lot of confidence that his social skills issues are gonna get addressed without an IEP in a specific level of service. So I think needs to gather her thoughts and write them a letter and say he needs to be uh, assessed for a special education uh, eligibility other, under other health impairment for the anxiety and, and the ADHD. If the anxiety is severe enough, you, you, you can also get eligibility under emotional disturbance, but he's a young kid and people tend to feel that diagnosis is a bit more stig- stigmatizing. So I think other health impairment is appropriate. I just think that, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to duck it if they can. That's what I think.
1: Now, let's answer her first question, which is, what is specialized what academic instruction?
0: Good question. When I started doing IEPs many years ago, this term didn't exist. It sort of um, made its way into the stream of things in the last, it feels like, about 10 years. It, it can be anything. It's ba- it could be like push-in services into your general ed classroom. It could be a study hall or a learning center. Um, it's some it's some additional level of individualized instruction that you have to have in order to access the curriculum. But if you get an IEP and it says SAI 300 minutes a week, that could just be somebody pushing into the gen ed class. It doesn't. Sai doesn't necessarily uh, define a, a location. I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Okay. Um, but at this point, it starts with an email to them saying, "I want to be. I want this child to be reevaluated." Correct. Do we say reevaluated for an IEP or just reevaluated?
0: We do. We say we think this child should have
1: an IEP, and here's the reasons why
0: his disability has an impact on his educational performance. Educational performance includes things like your social, emotional, and your adaptive skills. And so, um, you know, you can uh, say that it's not just grades uh, and performance, academic performance that are being affected. It's the larger educational issues that bear upon his ability to socialize and um, learn the kinds of things that you're supposed to learn in school that get you a job. You're supposed to learn how to get, you know, get along with people. You're supposed to learn how to meet new people. You're supposed to learn how to do work in groups. You're you know, supposed to learn how to plan out your um, assignments and turn them in on time and things like that. The IDEA expressly provides that at age 18, the student assumes responsibility for his own educational rights. And we know that a lot of students with IEPs are going to go out into the job market, if not then, in a few years. How can you go on a job interview if you don't know how to calmly listen and make eye contact and dress properly and talk at the right volume and you know um do some thinking about the mindset of your of your interviewer so that you can make yourself attractive to him or her these are all things that most of us uh got some instruction on
1: and and maybe would have benefited from more and that includes your student can I ask mom does he actually have a diagnosis of autism? I see that she says he has ADHD and anxiety where he can't focus and his social skills and social emotional reciprocity. She says the club foot is almost non existent non-existent and that they did say that they were going it was going to be in the least restrictive environment. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bonnie. They would have to say that because legally that's what they are supposed to provide is the least restrictive environment. That's that doesn't right. necessarily mean that what they're saying is the least restrictive environment is the least restrictive environment, that's right. right? That's right. And, Jen,
0: right. you know, Gen Ed could be the least restrictive environment or it could be something else.
1: Uh, no, we do not have a diagnosis because, okay. So, um, all right. Well, I think does not matter need diagnosis? So start by getting the diagnosis.
0: Well, I mean, the, go and go to them when you ask them to reevaluate and said, by the way, he's also being treated for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. You need to rule out autism.
1: Okay, and under Child Find, they are supposed to identify him, aren't they?
0: Yes. I mean, they're supposed, to, they're supposed to come up with a functional description of what his needs are. If they wrote goals in every area of need and they didn't identify him as autism, they might be okay. But I think the reason it's important that you have that eligibility is because autism tends to, whether it's supposed to or not, entitle people, at least in California, to more services than if you just have ADHD. And also autism is one of the 13 eligibility categories. ADHD is not. Anxiety
1: is not. And I want to say to this parent, because they identified themselves as being someone who lives in the state of California on Friday, um, that you're the perfect candidate for... I would reach out directly to Bonnie at Tolner Law Offices, um, you know, have have a 15-minute consultation with her and see if there's a way that they can help you specifically. Um, Not that I want to shoot myself in the foot, but it's never 15 minutes.
0: It's often... Much more than fifteen minutes. I'm not able to get enough
1: done in fifteen minutes. So, you know, if you take the trouble, I'll take the trouble. There you go. Um, and 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 that's the free portion of it uh, that she's talking about. I just didn't want to commit you to more than fifteen minutes, Bonnie. I was trying to be nice to you, but I know that you're, you're good. Nice you're me. good people. You're always
0: nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: okay, so I I think uh, you've got enough there to start, Mom. Um, but we all need to be aware, right, Bonnie? That what makes me mad sometimes is I feel like the school, you know, they have that little packet that they give us that says your rights on it. It's ironic yeah, it's funny that, that funny what we're you talking about. Bring that up now. What's that?
0: Funny that you should bring that up now. Guess what I was going to talk about next.
1: Ah, but I, but I, it's funny that you should. That's what you're going to talk about because I think a lot of times that you know I don't, I don't, I think the first IEP that I went to as a parent. I sat down and read that thing cover to cover. I don't think it helped me. And I think that that's that's not indicative of most people. I think we go, I'm going to read it, and then we don't. So um, I'm glad that we have you to talk with here. But let's launch into that. Talk Talk to us about that document and what we should be doing with it other than lining the cat box.
0: Yeah, right. Well, you can line the cat box after you read it. I mean, uh, it just, it's like sort of, what is it? It's like hot mold cider season. And I decided it was a good time for my people, again, that, um, that the district never ever says more to the parents than did you get your procedural safeguards. And if the parents say yes, the district will say, well, do you have any questions about them? And if the parent says no, the district's like, great, because they've satisfied that that obligation under the law that they have to provide the parent rights at the time of the initial valuation and at the time of the IEP and some other times. But um, I've been really telling people for the last few years, um, can you please... Um, You know, read your parent rights, because even though Shannon said it didn't really help her, maybe at least then you'll know what you don't know, you know, because they use these against you. And that's what I was going to start talking about today is kind of like, you know, what they use
1: against you because you don't know about it. That's Can I just say, Bonnie, can I just clarify? I don't think I understood what was in the document. I think it had the potential to help me, but I don't think I understood it without someone like you to break it down for me. Right. But the next step
0: should be if you read something and it pertains to your child's education and you don't understand it, that should be a red flag to you. Now, I know we all set, sign like our, you know, mortgage agreements without reading them and we sign our, you know, dental contracts without reading them. And, and sometimes that works fine and sometimes it doesn't. This is one of the cases where where it doesn't. And and there is stuff on the web. There's the S-E-R-R, Special Education Rights and Responsibilities book that's free from Protection and Advocacy. You can get that and print it out. There's the, um, there's Rights Law has a variety of um, articles about different things. So you can at least, you know, try to come to some understanding of what some of these things are because they use them to their advantage. So uh, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a set of, of statutes that, that are for California and, and the parents' procedural safeguards in California, but then also it's, it's a federal statute. So since we have people from all the 50 states, I figured I would just talk about what's in 20 uh, United States Code 1415. Um, and, you, you know, you can go back and look. It's very easy to Google special education procedural safeguards for your state but you're going to you're going to run into stuff like this. Okay? So, one of the really important things that you have as a tool is something called prior written notice. Districts are supposed to give it at every IEP meeting, and they often don't, and parents don't know that it's a way to get questions answered in a more meaningful way. Prior written notice, which is in section 20 USC 1415 um says that the district has to give written notice to the parents whenever the local education proposes to initiate or change, that could be a placement or a service, or refuses to initiate or change, the identification, evaluation, or educational placement of the child or the provision of a free appropriate public education to the child. So prior written notice is something, folks, that you should be using to get your questions answered including the last person that we were talking with on the phone she could request prior written notice as to why her son is not eligible for a special education with an iep and what they have to do is they have to not only give you something in writing that tells you what they decided they have to give you the reasons that they made the decision they did, other factors that they considered that they didn't rely on, and what documents and other pieces of information they relied on in making their decision. So if you go to an IEP meeting and they say you can only have a 20-minute observation of the student in the classroom, you go home and you write them a letter and you say, I want prior written notice. Why is this your decision? What's it based on? Because a lot of the time they just say no to you And they don't tell you why and we just kind of go like well that sucks we don't know why and we don't know where to go next right so that's that's prior written notice it's very important and it's something which the you know the district is using a lot now during the pandemic rather than having an iep what i'm seeing districts do is they're sending out a prior written notice and they are um they are using that to describe, let's say, how they're going to change the child's placement from a, a home-based um, purely distance learning program to let's say some kind of a hybrid program. And they're 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 sending it to the clients, they're not sending it to me. So I have to be kind of on top of my game and make sure that I'm not missing those those prior written notices. Um, so that's that's one thing that's in 1415. Um, it also provides that um, you can file a due process complaint and it tells you what needs to be in your due process complaint. Um, it tells you um, that the district has to write a response to the complaint. Uh, it tells you that,
1: um <sighs> sorry. It's okay. And we have a new comment that came in as well. Uh, she says prior written notice isn't something we received. We did get, we did get a date and time for the meeting that we already had. That's a well, sort of typical fair, isn't it? They may think they gave you prior written notice during
0: the IEP meeting and it's in the IEP document. But if you don't think you got prior written notice, I would definitely write them and say, please give me prior written notice about the basis for whatever the decisions are that you're, you're wondering about. So by yeah. all means, do that. Okay, write in 1415, procedural safeguards notice. This tells you when you are getting your procedural safeguards. And I might say that they're giving them to you them too at that time because they think significant things are happening at that time. So the first time is upon initial referral or parental request for an out evaluation. Part of the reason they're giving you the procedural safeguards then is because the procedural safeguards explain that you have to provide express consent for any evaluation. And then after uh, fully informed consent, they aren't gonna give you an assessment. They also have to provide it if they file a due process complaint against you, because that's a very important, you know, and significant legal development. If a district files a complaint against you, They're either filing because they're trying to defend their independent educational evaluation as appropriate, or they're trying to defend their IEP as appropriate. So the law requires that they remind you that there's a system in place for addressing these educational disputes, and it's not fair to you if you aren't knowledgeable about it, okay? The procedural safeguards notice shall include a full explanation of the procedural safeguards written in the native language of the parents, native language, and written in an easily understandable manner available under this section and under the regulations, um, relating to independent educational evaluations. So that's something they have to tell you uh, about, and they have to give you your procedural safeguards. Prior written notice, parental consent, which we just talked about, access to educational records, the opportunity to present and resolve complaints, um, placement, um, and so on. So uh, those are some other things that are, that are in the federal procedural safeguards in 20 U.S.C. 1415. They also have to explain to you that you have a right to mediate, mediation for certain types of educational disputes. They also have to tell you that the mediator has to be a neutral person and they qualify what it means to be a, a knowledgeable, qualified, neutral mediator. They tell you that the state has to bear the cost of the mediation process. They
1: tell this, you that, this kind of uh, cracks me up, Bonnie, because I, there's some irony here that I think, um, you know, I think if I were to read through this document now, I would have a better understanding of it. Well, and not, I, because, of because I have 10 years plus experience of this. But on the day when I first got it, which is when you really need it, that whole thing about it has to be in the native language and it has to be easily understandable. I don't think it is to somebody who's day one. It isn't. isn't. That's why I'm
0: recommending that you all look at this now before you have your next IEP meeting. Today is day one as far as I'm concerned. You know, yeah. it can be a new day where you commit for the new year to the idea that you're no less capable than anybody else of understanding these procedures. You just have to dive in and be patient with yourself when you start to space out or, or feel overwhelmed and just try to get more familiar with it.
1: They often- and the truth is, if somebody, I don't mean to interrupt you, Bonnie, the truth is, if somebody has a, uh, a question, if you read a paragraph and you go, I don't know what this means, the best thing to do would be to write in and say, Bonnie, can you shed light on this paragraph? I don't well, get it. That, and I
0: would also say Google it or Google Scholar it. There's a lot of information on the internet. And I don't think the information you're going to come up with is going to be so bad that you're going to be worse, worse off for having read it. Try to get comfortable in this universe that you may be in until your child is 22 years old. And, and after your child is 22 years old, if you're in California you're going to be dealing with the regional center so you you need to practice reading statutes you need to practice reading cases there's no magic about this but you can get a lot of knowledge for free if you're just patient with yourself and I understand how busy all you parents are so I don't mean to be one of those like go off and meditate for six hours today but but I'm saying this is this is a job that you have these are some of the tools to make your job a little easier and help you be better at what is, is is clearly a tough job. So you are also entitled to an explanation in your procedural safeguards of how the impartial due process hearing is supposed to work. Uh, and they're supposed to explain to you that within 15 days of the filing of your complaint, you're supposed to have a resolution session. They're supposed to tell you that your complaint is supposed to be heard within 30 days of your filing of the initial complaint unless both sides agree to continue it. They um, talk about what should be in a written settlement agreement if you reach a settlement with the district. They talk about, um, they talk about, here's an interesting one. No less than five business days prior to a hearing, each party shall disclose to all other parties, all evaluations Completed by that date, and recommendations based on the offering party's evaluation that the party intends to use at the hearing. Mm. So, you know there are things about when your evidence is due, which is essentially what that is. There, there are there's a um, discussion about um, who cannot be a hearing officer, and that would include being an employee of a state educational agency or a local education agency, or a person having a personal or professional interest that conflicts with the person's objectivity in the hearing. What would that be? Well, let's say you had a side business getting Chromebooks for the district, and you know the district gave you certain um, things back in exchange for doing that. Uh, They also talk about the the subject matter of the due process hearing, that if you don't raise issues in your complaint and give the other side notice of what you intend to, um, to issue with, you can't raise things for the first time at a hearing. They also tell you about the statute of limitations and that you have two years, two years to bring a case. A parent or agency, that's a district, shall request an impartial due process hearing within two years of the date the parent or agency knew or should have known about the alleged action that forms the basis of the complaint, or if the state has an implicit time limitation for requesting such a hearing under this subchapter in such time as the state allows. So parents, you need to be aware that if you have a really, really, you know, funky IEP with the district and you think they're liable for it, you need to keep that date in mind because you can't raise it if it if it happens more than two years prior.
1: Um, We got about one minute left, Bonnie, but can I just say, uh, like, I felt, I feel like this was the hardest part for us, uh, dealing with the school. And I couldn't have made it through without you. I really couldn't have. And I'm so deeply appreciative of you um, because I feel like this was the hardest stumbling block for us. There were other stumbling blocks, but this was the hardest that it was it was so hard to have to go in and fight for what we knew our rights were that i had to be up on a whole set of things that i just didn't because i'm an educator and and i worked in schools and and the fact that i had to go in with you know a fork and a knife and a pitchfork in the back behind me to go in and fight for what legally i understood was our right it was it was exhausting it was emotionally challenging. It was really, really really rough. And I couldn't have done it without you. And I'm so glad that I'm through that portion of the program.
0: Yeah, and me too. And I had to get outside help. I didn't understand anything about, about the IDEA when my child got identified with the disability. But the point is, Shannon, you learned. This, I did. Is, this is really about uh, you know what I've just come to believe so much as an older adult, which is we feel best when we have agency in our lives. And the disability seems to make it very hard to have agency over the disability. But this is something we can do.
1: Yeah, you're right. And so a lot
0: of time I'll pick up and finish this next week.
1: Okay. And then next week will be our last show with you before the oh, end of the oh, new year. Oh, oh. So, so glad uh,
0: you're I'm, I'm taking off the last two weeks of the year. Good, so good, good, good.
1: we won't be either. Okay. So uh, their question was though, so SAIOHI is not an IEP. Could I be overthinking? Should I ask them to reevaluate for an IEP due to executive function issues?
0: Why don't you share your IEP with Shannon and then she and I can talk about it. I think we okay. should be able to tell from the body of the document, whether this is an IEP or a 504 plan.
1: Yeah. Send whatever it over is and then um, and tell me that I have the right to share it with Bonnie. Let's do that. Um, because you I think you have my email. Uh, I don't know if you have my My email is s.penrod at autism hyphen dot com. s.penrod at autism hyphen dot com. So Bonnie Tolner Law Offices, how can we find you? On the web,
0: Google Tolner Law Offices. It's all there. We've we got it on the
1: screen too, specialeducationcouncil.com. What a great URL, specialeducationcouncil.com. If you are not in California, Nevada, or Arizona, and you want to find somebody who is amazing like Bonnie, you won't. You won't find somebody who's amazing like Bonnie, but there are some amazing people. Bonnie always recommends COPA, net. To find uh, an attorney or an advocate in your area, Bonnie. We love you and stay warm. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you next week. Okay. Uh, thanks. <laughs> All right. You take care. Bye bye. Uh, and just we've got about thirty seconds before we get off the air. Uh, yes, please do um, that uh, to that person who is saying that. Um, but uh, I want to say, somebody had asked the question, is there ABA for adults? I just want to say that there is. ABA is something that gets used for people of all ages. Um, it's it's a teaching tool, so it can be used for people that are, Olympic athletes use it to coach, to uh, to get to their peak performance. Businesses use it. Now, when you talk about though wanting ABA to help you, you want to stop and think about what is it that you want to help? Do you want help with executive functions? Do you want help with sensory regulation? Do you, like, where are you having issues? Because part of the puppy mill of ABA now, because of insurance, it's that it's very, um, it's designed to help people who have behavioral challenges. Um, so by the time somebody is an adult, it really usually is for people who are very profoundly affected, profoundly impacted. Not it, it, that's how insurance makes it work, but it can work for anybody, but it gets very specific about what it is that you want. The reason why I'm saying this is because if, for instance, you're an adult on the autism spectrum and the main issue that you're having difficulty with is um, anxiety, then I would recommend that you look at cognitive behavioral therapy before you do ABA. If you are having trouble with self-injurious behavior, ABA, you see what I'm saying that I would, I would put it in different categories. ABA is going to be great for you, but for the hoops that you're going to have to go through for insurance, what you might want to do, let's say executive functions is the area that you're having them. Like you are brilliant and you see things and you know that you're talented, but you can't carry something through fruition, like you start and then it just doesn't work out. That's an executive functions thing. That might be a coach who has ABA background. It might be that you work with um, a clinical psychologist as, as sort of a coach for you to work through and help you to follow through on executive functions. They would use the tenets of ABA but you it, you wouldn't put it in the same insurance pocket as as the kind of ABA that we're talking about. Does that make sense? I hope so. Uh, in any case, guys, we are back tomorrow. Somebody had written in and said, "How often do you do this chat?" We're here Monday through Friday, uh, from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Now, sometimes, like especially on Tuesdays, we'll we call it Temple Grand and Tuesdays now, and we'll play um, a, a mélange of interviews that we've done before with Temple. We don't have her on live every Tuesday. Um, So, uh, but you can still interact live while we're doing, um, the, the comments. Um, so, and then as I mentioned, we're going to be taking a couple of weeks off. Uh, it's about three weeks off after next week will be our last week live for the year. And then we'll be back mid January of 2021, uh, and I'm so glad that the individual said it made sense about what we were talking about for adults. But remember, ABA and the principles of ABA are um, the considered across the world by everyone, The it's the gre- greatest teaching tool um, that there is. So if there's something that you wanna learn, whether you're on the spectrum, not on the spectrum, whether you're very impacted, not impacted, the tenants of ABA will help you to get there. It's just, I want you to get the, the quick answer of how to be able to get help for the things that you need. We love Temple Grand and Tuesday too. So tomorrow we are going to be showing you some, um, uh, interviews that we've done before with Temple, but you can still enter. I know woohoo 21, right? I <laughs> can't come fast enough. Are right, you guys? I love and adore you. Thank you for being here. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.